We're going down here and we're going to do the Woody Allen walk and talk down Woody the street. Woody Allen walk, I've done it. <laughs> you know it. Does he expect a lot from you to contribute? Oh, he says you have unlimited freedom. It's like one of the first things he tells you. You can do absolutely whatever you want to do. That doesn't mean he'll like it. <laughs> Hi, this is Patrick, and this is my interview with Peter Sarsgaard. In this interview, we talked a lot about moving around, forming good habits, healthy habits, working with great filmmakers like Woody Allen. Peter is an amazing actor. He has such an amazing presence. I remember a lot of people before I went to do the interview, especially girls, were very compelled by Peter. And um, sure enough, in the interview, you hear him shoot that out of the sky, which is funny and humble as he is. He's a nice guy. I never thought I'd like kind of get along with Peter as much as we did in this interview and I really liked him and I hope to see him again soon. Hey! Hi. <laughs> Pleasure. How you doing? Yes. This is you. Oh, I'm good. Beautiful day. <laughs> I got you a nice coffee. Thanks. I don't know if it'll be How did you good. Know? A lot of uh, what I started doing this interview show for was my own curiosity and in your work you're known as someone that plays so many different parts. I mean, it certainly obviously has to do with that. I don't want to play the same thing all the time. It's also just the way my business works, you know. You either make the legs for the chair or you make the seat. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm trying to think of people that I've played that have been the kind of the closest to my actual experience. Mm -hmm. And funny, the first thing that comes to mind is Shattered Glass because that's probably, you know, feels a lot like me that part but that's a guy that's that's Chuck so yeah <laughs> and it was a real-life person I was playing who would come by there sometimes but a lot of times that will help if they're not famous and they are someone that's out in the world mm -hmm. and you observe their behavior and you, frequently you just see how similar it is to your own we yeah. all have so much in common that it just makes you feel confident to not do too much creating a character or something like that yeah. I think if you feel like you're creating a character for the sake of having diversity or something like that, right. that's when you get into trouble. Yeah. Some, that's when it's Halloween. <laughs> Some performers feel very sensitive about the revealing of self because they feel like they're, like, I think I heard this with John C. Riley where it's like, I don't want to do an interview where you see bits of me because mm -hmm. then you're pulling away the magic. And it doesn't seem like you're in that headspace. No, I don't, I don't feel that way at no. all. I mean... I think that people want to believe mm -hmm. when they go to see something, mm -hmm. that the audience that I'm playing to is not the one that starts out critical. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> is there something you'd like to do that you haven't done? Oh. You know what I would like to do that I haven't done is hike the Appalachian Trail, but I actually, I was, you know, that's obviously, on a friend of mine just did that in kind of some sort of record time. He did it faster than anybody's oh, ever wow. done. Oh, <laughs> wow. He ruined um, it. And so now it seems like a race course a little bit to me. But, yeah, go on a very long hiking trip. Yeah. You know, cover a lot of mileage. You like solace. Like kind of, yeah, I do. Yeah, you're kind of yeah, going yeah. solace on me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. You went to high school in Fairfield, Connecticut. Uh, very John Updike wasp country. Was there culture shock? Where'd you move from? I, you know, I adapt so quickly and I always have. You know, I moved to Connecticut from Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously a really big difference. But 
I always felt proud of the places in the past that I was from, and I would carry them into the next wherever place. I was. And I found things to like about Connecticut. You know, I think Connecticut gets kind of a bad rap, but like, you know, you read like John Cheever and you're going, oh yeah. For someone um, on the go who travels for work, where's home? Is, is home somewhere you leave or someone you build as you grow up? Oh, I mean, I consider home the place where I live right now. This table. Right here. This is home right this minute. No, I, I, home is the place that I have with my wife and kids. I don't think I really thought of many places as being home without some sort of asterisk next to it until then, mm -hmm. you know. I always have had a lot of nostalgia for St. Louis. Mm -hmm. I just have always really liked that town and all of its conflicts. And you learn so much about being in the United States, being in Missouri and being in St. Louis because it's right on the border <laughs> between North and South. Mm -hmm. And so all it's like, I think instead of disassociating from those issues, I grew up around them and seeing them. Mm -hmm. You know, when they closed Homer G. Phillips Hospital in that city, which is a hospital that serves a mostly African-American community, or when they took New Jersey barriers and wouldn't let you drive from a good neighborhood to a bad neighborhood, and so they isolate the bad neighborhood and stuff like that. Having grown up around that and seen some of that, but also been around people that were radicalized by that and mm -hmm. activated by it. And, that we just because somebody gets elected that you don't like doesn't mean you move to Canada. It means you double down and get more serious about your country. <laughs> I like that double down. Yeah. Before acting, you you wrote. You're a writer. Do you still write? Do you write? I do. Yeah. It's harder to write with uh, with children. I haven't really figured that. Not I bet. Yeah. It's always something. Yeah. Well, you end up doing it at night. I am writing something even like right now, but everything just takes longer. Mm -hmm. And I think that. My temperament has always been more suited to being an actor, mostly because in order to write well, I would have to be like Paul Schrader and have like a gun next to the typewriter. Is that what he does? I think so, to motivate yeah. himself, you know, like this. Didn't he just put one out? I think he just did one. Probably, but yeah. these are the consequences. There's actually the most famous long distance runner in the world lives next to a cemetery. And he, he's like, we're talking five day races, one day races, 100 miles, you know and he's a Greek guy, it motivates him to see... The cemetery. Yeah. That's strange. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I never could give myself quite the motivation that I could for acting. In acting, people show up in a car, they take you to set, they cut your hair, they put you in clothes, they push you on a set, they hand you lines to say, and then you become an artist. Mm -hmm. But someone is like teed it up for you so completely. Mm -hmm. You know, it's easier for someone like me. What's this thing you do where you swear before you do a take? That is just dealing with uh, anxiety from performing. I just have never been somebody that was drawn to performing. Yeah. <laughs> and the way I got into it was different. And so I think it was a way of giving myself permission to do anything. Mm -hmm. After you say something, not just swearing, but something incomprehensible or do something that's just your first instinct. A lot of times it was swearing for me because I was nervous and that felt like what I needed to do. But it could have been just rolling around on the ground like a fish yeah. and then you get back up. And that way you don't have to apologize for any of the behavior you're about to do on camera. It's, it's all fresh. And also 
it got to be kind of fun, you know, people would think it was fun. I would, I would be asked to do it after I had stopped doing it. Other actors would be <laughs> like, like, do, do something like thing. that? Yeah. I remember I was a, like, I did extra work. I got a part on Less Than Zero from sitting in a car, and then they told me it went sag or whatever it does, and they're like, yeah, bad news, but we'll give you all this extra work. And I was a little kid, so I was like, that's a lot of money. And I had these huge aspirations, like Andrew McCarthy and these guys were huge. And then I see yeah. him and he's this big. The blazer like went to his ankles. And he would have a line like, is Claire there? But he would pace and he would put his finger down his throat and he'd be like, ah, oh, mm, and everybody oh, yeah. waiting. And he'd be like, is Claire there? And he'd be like, this is a strange process. I, I worked with it an actor who liked to gag himself be before each yeah. take. I never, it was never like that with me. I, I, actually, when he would do that, it would make me want to throw up. It's very yeah. hard to start off a take that way. It was funny to watch him and Downey, because Downey was like arguing with a girlfriend and then going into Julian and everyone was like, oh yeah, he was uh, on a lot of drugs and doing, I'm like, no he wasn't. He was like totally just going back I to Julian and back to use... arguing with this girl and it was awesome, learning experience. Yeah, I don't know, you know, it's, I think sometimes people romanticize the drug use of someone like, you know, that where it's, I think, I think it's really cleared a lot out of the way for him artistically to, to stop using. Sure, you know. he's done really well. Because I used to think, yeah, that, I, you know, because I, when I quit drinking, I used to think, oh, am I going to have my thing, yeah. you know, which yeah. almost seemed connected to that somehow. I found out I was capable of more. I look back now and I go, I was really good at playing somebody that looked like they needed help. Yeah. <laughs> You've changed the way you lived after 39. What was that like? What What brought you to that place to like, I want to change and get healthier? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got sober. I don't know. I didn't have like any kind of crisis or anything like that. You know, you have children and you just want to be present. Great. Yeah. yeah. You want to be, have all the energy to do everything you want to do. Mm-hmm including work. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought I could do better. You didn't feel like you were living to your fullest in that? Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate to have a job that allows you to be a little bit of a fuck-up. <laughs> Which job? Acting? <laughs> Acting, yeah? yeah. I mean, I feel like um, people bend over backwards to help actors do what they do, and mm -hmm. many great actors have been pushed into frame and pulled off. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't an actor like that, but I just didn't want to become one like that. I think if you get too used to it and too, it being okay kind of in your life Jaded. all the time. Yeah, you also have a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. And if your free time is an actor, because I mean, a working actor only works half the year. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of free time. And I think that's where a lot of people get off track. If mm -hmm. your free time is spent you know, doing drugs and drinking, yeah. then... <laughs> I know, I, I, that was my life from when we I moved here. We take up ping pong, take up fingerstyle guitar, take yeah. up a charity. My mother said, read a something. book, find a hobby, yeah. you know, she's Have children. to me. <laughs> you recently did uh, America Divided episode as an opiate addict epidemic in America. It looked very intense. What was, uh, what was your take? Oh, on? yeah, yeah. So we did this uh, documentary as part of America Divided mm -hmm. about the opiate crisis in Dayton, Ohio, and actually connected to the loss of manufacturing jobs there. So all the plants closed, and that was really when a lot of this began to take off. So, you know, you, you see that even though, obviously, people go back to using opiates because they're wildly addictive, you know, 
And anyone who's critical of that can think of maybe when they smoke cigarettes and how hard it is to quit. Yeah. Um, times a lot now with things like fentanyl. So we were. Wow. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's just trying to investigate the roots of something and suggest to people as they're about to vote that maybe, you know, some of the issues that are in this documentary are worth thinking about, like you know, Flint, Michigan, which you don't hear that much of these days. You know, infrastructure crumbling and the opiate crisis. Yeah, it was heavy. Thing. I was a big opiate head. Yeah, I yeah. met it here in the city. Be glad that you stopped before fentanyl. I know. I had that for or a surgery. Or as they call it, toe tag. What would you say the greatest misconception of you is? That's funny. There's so many. <laughs> Anyone. You know, I don't imagine people conceiving of me. You know, I always think of them as seeing my parts. But by the way that I get treated by people sometimes on the street, which is some amount of trepidation mm -hmm. that I'm in any way. I mean, it's funny. You say, if I'm really not a creepy person, mm -hmm. that's like the creepiest thing that you can say. Someone else has to vouch for you. I could tell you there was a lot of girls that wanted to visit. They're like, oh, that guy, I like that guy. <laughs> well, unfortunately for a while, the more bad guys I played, the more people that were the antagonist. Yeah, the more a certain type of person got that? interested in me. Do you yeah, see yeah. that where they like look at you and they yeah, want and the character? Like, I'm not, not, not that dude. That, yeah, and why are you wanting that yeah. dude? <laughs> That's the best, isn't it? Yeah. Like, he looks dangerous. No, why? no. I think people would be very disappointed a lot of the time when they met You're me. You're not dangerous no, or creepy. No. Yeah. I'm really into gardening. Into <laughs> gardening. Um, what was the most important thing you learned this year? The most important thing I learned this year? Yeah. Oh, that taking time off, that not working all the time doesn't necessarily pay dividends in better work when you do it, mm -hmm. but it pays dividends in a better life. I actually had that feeling when I, you know, I took a lot of time off after I did Jackie, and I've actually take, not worked that much over the last year. And, um, you know, there's this idea that, oh, you'll come back and your work will be even more fulfilling and better mm -hmm. and you'll be more connected to it. And that doesn't really happen, you at least like for me. You be off on a boat somewhere. You just realize, that, you know, that, that work ain't all that. No, life is something that's happening, right? Yeah, it's yeah, It's just yeah. crazy. I went on my first vacation in the last uh, year. Very first time just a vacation. And it changed my life. I was yeah. like, wow, you know? I mean, for a long time for me, I, I mean, my work is, was central to everything, mm -hmm. you know? And it's nice to not have it not be that. Totally. You know? I agree. I'm going to take some pictures of you. Cool. You're staying. I'm leaving. I got it. Straight back and upstairs. With fewer and fewer movies getting made, do you feel like the independent film has gone to television? I have this theory that like, if Quentin Tarantino did Reservoir Dogs, it would be on Showtime. Oh, Nowadays. I, think, I think we're almost to the point where it would just be online. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I think television has gotten rather commercial also. I think the golden age of television was about four years ago. Yeah, I don't know that people are going to bother with the television. I think I can't wait to ditch the cable box. You know, that cable box you just look at it and you're like, what is this? I mean, for me, I'm really interested in things that don't have commercials in the middle of them. Right. So that's always been the big compromise with television is you're doing a show about a person who's mentally ill and then they have all these ads for taking drugs that are gonna cure you of your mental illness. <laughs> What's it like doing Chekhov on Broadway? Really fun, you realize it's a comedy. 
you know, the audience kind of teaches you what the play is. Mm -hmm. And it really depends on where you are, but when you're on Broadway, you realize that he's a crowd pleaser. <laughs> <laughs> it's truth, man. He was writing plays in bars. His first plays were, you know, performed at a bar, like a skit. So. Who do you find yourself going to for advice? I used to go to this woman named Penny Allen, who was a kind of acting coach, mother guru for loads of actors that you probably like over the last 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. I'd worked with her for 20 something years. She passed away this spring. So she's the person that I still, you know, think of if I'm, I don't go to anyone anymore. I just say, what would Penny say? Right, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I like keeping the list of actors that have worked with her anonymous because it's like, it's like we have a cheat sheet mm -hmm. or we had one for a while. It really always felt like cheating working with Penny and be like, because a lot of working with her, you know, and you'd say, she'd say, what do you think this scene's about? And you'd say something and she would go, no! <laughs> Did you hear it? And basically we would just, you know, I'd just be like, just tell me. Just tell me what it's about. <laughs> Did you ever hear of a cat named Eric Morris? No. I worked with him. He used to have us do abandonments in the middle of the scene. Do another abandonment where you'd have a seizure on the ground. Get up and do it again. Do an abandonment. I, I was so exhausted. I was like, I'm going to When I first him. started acting, I was kind of superstitious the whole time because I was mm -hmm. very nervous. So I'd have to come up with rituals to calm myself down. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of have them be the same. That's the way people get to be OCT, I imagine. <laughs> but like, some of them were unusual, like doing something like that, falling on the ground and having a seizure. You know, a pretend one. But then I wouldn't allow myself to explain what I was doing. Uh -huh. That was usually part of it. I had to do something odd, humiliating, breaking the ice, and then not explain my behavior. Amazing. <laughs> I yeah. got over that. It, it upset people. <laughs> Your first scene ever was Sean Penn killing you in the woods. It was hard. If you think of that, you know, we're getting dragged through a bayou. When you get dragged through a bayou, thrown down in the mud, physically assaulted, you get dirty. But you can't be dirty on take two because we're starting off walking through the woods. Mm -hmm. So we'd have to go all the way through the scene of all the physical action happening. And it was very intense. And then go and take showers put on clothes again, hair and makeup again, do it again. We must have, I don't know how many times we did that. So it was, it wasn't just doing it a bunch of times over an hour. It was over many hours. Mm -hmm. So I thought filmmaking is really slow <laughs> and kind of painful. Do you but, like the like theater versus film or do you have a preference or do you? Well, if you're acting with Sean Penn, I think, in, you know, anywhere. It's, up, it's really more about the people, you know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. like that with anything. It's just like, who, the crew and who, the who, who am I around? Who am I making this thing with? That's how I divide it up, not between what area I'm doing it in, whether it's theater or film sure. or even television or something like that. The thing with television is, you know, there's this paradigm that's existed for a long time where the writer is the creator is the all-powerful one and, you know, they're the showrunner. Mm -hmm. They're the master creator. Mm -hmm. And in film, that really only exists with like a select few auteur directors. The rest of them expect their actors to fight back. Right. <laughs> Was there a favorite a filmmaker that you love? I really like Kim Pierce, Kim you know, Pierce. from Boys Don't Cry. Okay. But she's tough, you know, mm -hmm. that's like a tough person. 
It's nice to be around somebody that you know is incapable of bullshitting you. That's great. Yeah. Like they, it, it's not like they choose not to. It's just they can't. Uh -huh. <laughs> they don't have the ability. They don't have the ability. I've been, uh, I was watching a lot of uh, State of Grace because we were shooting in Soho by that yeah. bar yesterday and it's so amazing the way things have changed. It's cool that that bar is still exactly where it was with the same paint. Right. They were so young. I forgot how young everyone was. Sean looked like a little kid. I know. And Gary looked really beautiful he's and still, young. and He's still great. He looks yeah. great, yeah. I think Sean is starting to go through as many looks as like um, Bob Dylan. He, you know how uh, Bob Dylan, now we have the sort of yeah. troubadour thing. Yeah. And you look back and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of change in him in the last five years. Since the Haiti thing, he came back, he started looking crazy different. Muscular. Older, older. Yeah, but ripped. Yeah. <laughs> There's a shot in Jackie where you see a modern day crane. And I love that, you know, you have to be really be paying attention. Mm-hmm. But the thing I love about that filmmaker is he just doesn't worry about that stuff. He just is like, oh, eh. nobody's paying attention. Whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. See? <laughs> yeah, this is not. We need to take some bounce out of the ball. <sighs> OK. <laughs> do you ever get um, anxiety when you have a huge performance? Or do you ever feel like, like I don't yeah. want to go out there today. <laughs> I have anxiety I really right don't. now. This Me is too. Even, yeah. That's why I brought the thing phone. <laughs> No, I get anxiety for other people even, you know? Oh, um, yeah? Oh, my God, yeah. They're like, the final minutes of any sports game, if it's, you know, that moment that everybody else likes, they all tune in because he's got to make both free throws, you know, with, uh -huh. like, point eight. I, that's not, I can't even watch him do it. Yeah, but anxiety's, like, kind of the key to doing something well. It just means you care an awful lot. Mm -hmm. So... I think I've seen people that don't have any anxiety, and a lot of times it's, they're kind of just disconnected from what actually is going on. <laughs> what was it like doing Hamlet? It felt like, like it was my birthday every day. It was just like a thing totally for me that I Something you wanted to do forever? Yeah, I loved doing it. I remember one night Al Pacino came, and I, I went out and I went down like this. This is the second time this has happened uh -huh. to me. Went down like this, split my pants completely, like, in the crotch, totally split. And, you know, went off stage, grabbed a pair of jeans, and did the rest of it in jeans. And it was just the kind of play where you could do that. You know, it, Hamlet to me just feels like it's happening as much in this environment as it's happening in a castle. It's kind of out of time. You know, it's a to play about what it means to be human. I loved it. How old were you when you started studying all this, like the acting and... I started acting when I was 19 in college because I hurt myself playing soccer. And then I... Before that, I was always into movies, though. And I wasn't actually encouraged by my friends to be the one that picked the movie out at Blockbuster. Remember doing that? Yes. And you had they, to commit. You right. Had to really... So that you usually send someone to mm -hmm. go pick the movie while everybody else gets everything ready, hangs out. And I liked to be the one that picked the movie because I like, you know, I had specific things I liked. I was taking this class at school after school from Father Gararelli, and he was showing me like all of these Italian movies that had a lot of sex in them. Uh -huh. 
you know, Fellini movies and stuff like that, yeah. you know, art movies, but he was hooking me with the, you know, you're a teenage boy and there's sex in them and beauty and all that kind of stuff. And so I started getting movies like that. There was a section at Blockbuster that had like, you know, the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover. That was amazing with Tim I remember Roth. bringing that back yeah. and they were all like, what are you doing? So I've always liked... He barely talked in that movie, right? He's yeah. just kind of a thing. Helen Mirren, too. My God. What a movie. That guy's still making films. He had a film yeah. a year for a while, it seemed like. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that's very difficult to find out. And now, can yeah. you imagine? Brought to you by <laughs> Verizon. That's the thing that's really disappeared. For the, I mean, in American cinema, for me, that kind of like true auteur type sure. is that's what feels like it's almost impossible to find yeah just because everybody's trying to make a buck so bad like the it does feel like you did boys don't cry those coming up in oh, today's yeah, yeah. world they'd be like yeah. what are you making and yeah why? and her movie carrie uh -huh. you know was cool but that's also you know the what it means to be in hollywood do you know a movie with a big star and a horror movie that's a remake of a horror movie. Yeah. She did it really well, mm -hmm. but I'm sure that that's part of what picks the project for you, you know. What makes me lonely? What makes me blue? What makes me happy when I'm... I'm going to Colombia. When? end of the month I'm doing film there they just had that vote though you know the war has not ended oh yeah <laughs> like thought I was going into a different environment what are you most proud of what am I most proud of my children I know. how many you have I have two kids and maybe my compost pile also <laughs> your what <laughs> I have a really good compost pile oh nice <laughs> what's the hardest lesson you've ever learned I guess trying harder doesn't make it better <laughs> I think I've learned that one all the time, you know, and it's like something you have to constantly readjust, you know, like somebody who goes like, uh, no, I am tense. You see that with like uh, violinists especially, like, right, they, they play and you think, oh, they look really loose. They're like Fred Astaire playing that thing. And then they drop down and, oh no, they were tight. They find the new level uh -huh. of relaxation. It's an ongoing battle. <laughs> How do you find balance when you're like always on a project or always switching what home is? I mean, I'm really familiar with that. That's the way I've been since I was a kid. So it feels normal to me. I almost never set up camp in the other place. I always, if you were to walk in, you'd be like, oh, someone's temporarily hanging out here. That's how you do it. I don't like to put all the energy into setting it all up and everything like that. It isn't home. Mm -hmm. There's another place that's home. Mm -hmm. And I'll just explore my surroundings. I need it like a a chair and a bed. The yeah. basics. Yeah. <laughs> we're going down here and we're going to do the Woody Allen walk and talk down Woody the street. Woody Allen walk, I've done it. <laughs> you know it. God, I gotta say, somebody asked me the other day, my real answer, which I said to a huge group of people at this film festival, I said, every country is worth visiting once. <laughs> it's what it feels like, though. You're sort of like, okay, 
Now did I know that. what that's like. Did yeah. that. I think there's some other tenacity people. blows my mind. I made one film and I yeah, that was in 2010. I'm like trying to get the nerve to go back and lose my house again. You know what the thing is for him? It's like making chairs or something. And Very he wakes up. Mini. Yeah, he also like practices music at the same time every day. He does everything like for the same amount of time. If you live a life that is that organized, mm -hmm. you start to get into a rhythm and and he doesn't also impossible. worry about it that much when he's writing it. Mm -hmm. He's like, nah. It'll, the next step because will get that. Because you're just kicking the boat off in a direction. <laughs> I want to do that. Yeah, and you just don't like sweat. You don't try to make the movie in the screenplay. Right. You just let the screenplay be like, to me, if you read a screenplay and you're like, wow, that was a great read, you're mm -hmm. like, they should turn it into a book. <laughs> you know, people watch Does movies. Does he expect a lot from you to contribute? Oh, he says you have unlimited freedom. It's like one of the first things he tells you. You can do absolutely whatever you want to do. That doesn't mean he'll like it. <laughs> What's the don't like it look like? That one, yeah. Head scratcher. <laughs> well, for me in that movie, it was particularly confusing just because I couldn't understand why, why she was acting so weird. <laughs> I mean, she was a nervous wreck. Right. So I didn't know any of that part of the story, you know, and frankly, I was also confused about why I was asking someone to marry me that I seemed like I barely knew. And I think when, you're, when you read the whole script, you can more see the function of your character in the story uh -huh. and play it that way. I didn't know my function in the story. It's upsetting in a way. Yeah, and so it, it takes some amount of the storytelling power away from you as an actor. On the other hand, it frees you up to be an in-the-moment, reactive individual. Mm -hmm. And that's what he wants. A reactive I, person. I think the thing that he wants, well, I mean, I'm not gonna put words into his sure, mouth, obviously, but like, I always think like, oh, he must have grown up in a family where people interrupted each other, overlapped talking, uh -huh. that what sounds natural to him, because sometimes directors will say, I want you to sound like you do in life. And you go like, your life or my life? Yeah, Because <laughs> Woody Allen's life, I think we all know that song of what it sounds it's like. Neuroses, chaos, a lot of... A lot of ideas and a lot of urgency in expressing those ideas. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, just like yeah. stream of consciousness. Yeah. I just remember all the hottest girls in New York when I was... I grew up here 16 to 30, and all the banging exotic girls were going off to be his assistant at different parts of the year. Jill Revson, all the, yeah. like, the hottest ones. Yeah. And yeah, like, where are you going? They're like, likes. I'm doing an internship with Woody. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's all very uh, consistent with something. He and I connected talking about music. Like, he used to do the comedy bit at the jazz club. Uh -huh. So yeah, I remember him saying one day, like, Mingus was a blowhard. I'm like, Mingus. You knew Mingus. That's weird. He like really what knew was Mingus. was he, like 20? Yeah, he yeah. totally knew Mingus. But, you know, they'd play their thing and then he'd come up and he'd do his little bit. Yeah. He's good at comedy. When yes. I listen to those old tapes, he was like edgy. Yeah. Yeah. He's so old now. Like, I heard the new film and I heard that he narrated uh, Cafe Society. And my girlfriend's like, it doesn't even sound like him. He sounds very old now. You know? See, to me... You can't really have a substitute when you're doing self-deprecating humor. Uh -huh. The whole point of it is that it's self-deprecating. Actually, Woody Allen's like idol was one of my teachers, this guy named Stanley Elkin. And he was in a wheelchair his whole life. 
and um, he would tell Holocaust jokes and cripple jokes in his stories, and it was really funny. And very really self-deprecating. So when Woody Allen casts someone else to play himself in the movie and asks them to be foolish like he is, we're like, no, because everybody's got their own foolishness, and if you're going to do that, you got to play that part. Yeah, no, I, I see that. <laughs> you know, you can't cast someone else to do it. So luckily, I wasn't that character. I was more the William Hurt idealized wasp. It's so rare that in New York you allow yourself to walk slow. Like as a New Yorker. I have a stride, yeah. Yeah, well, you have to keep up with the flow of traffic is the rule, right? Like, people yeah. don't want to... <laughs> I did 16 to 30 here. I go as fast as the cab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like... My mother-in-law does that thing where she checks her phone in the middle of the sidewalk. That's bad. Those messengers like, are going to just camera? break everything. <laughs> they come by like bullets. It's not even the cabs, it's the messenger that Boom. comes through. Yeah. I actually stopped riding my bike in the city because I witnessed a fatality on oh, top of my street. And I was just like, no. And I'd been doing it for years. I was a messenger when I first came to the city. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you have the uh, fixed wheel? I did. Yeah, those are awesome. And uh, one of those Manhattan storage bags. We had a friend named uh, Ross Menuez. He's a big sculptor. and. You know Vincent Gallo? Yeah. Gallo always said, hey, Ross, you got to hide the Canalgo. It's a very valuable bike. And he kept going, yeah, whatever, whatever. And he, he, we see him pull up at Whole Foods on Prince, and we're at Agnes B. I met Gallo when I was yeah, like, yeah. 16. He hides the Canalgo, and we was like, Ross was devastated. And we let him stay in it because he kept warning him about the bike. <laughs> and he goes, uh, he goes, yo, Vinny, they took my Canalgo. And he goes, what's a Canalgo, Ross? He goes, my bike. It was just so dramatic. I remember the Canal. Yeah, it was a very pricey bike. It weighed as much as nothing. I had a trek. I wanted to have a Canal. Do you so got a satisfying. whole garden in the backyard? Yeah, we're off the grid. Oh, I, I make that. my own fertility. I don't bring in any diseases, pests. We're out in the middle of nowhere. It's pure. If you walk in, I'll do a lice check on you. <laughs> Shit is real. No, I know. Uh, Adam Yauk, who passed away, unfortunately, was very much like that at the end. Yeah. He was very into that. He'd be like, are you bringing up food? And he'd be like, we're going to eat. And he's like, I'd have to kill a bug. Thanks for listening to my interview with Peter Sarsgaard. If you want to watch the motion aspect of the show, again, it is at aninterview.tv. A-N-interview.tv. Thanks for listening. <laughs>